Shabbat Shalom and greetings. It's good to be back to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Got to meet so many of you at Sukkot, the Canadians, the Californians, the Floridonians, from all over Wyoming, so many people from so many states, and what a true blessing it was to be able to sit down and have fellowship, break bread, worship, and be together. We had so many young children, it was lovely to see such new generations being brought up in the Torah. So greet one another. We're back at it. I hope you're back at it in the Word, seeking righteousness in this sick and twisted world full of propaganda. Let this place be a place where we can examine the words that I speak with the words of Yahuwah. Yahuwah's word is true, and if I don't align with it, or you don't align with it, then we need to chuck us out. So let's get into the word today. We're in Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel. We're in the 28th chapter today. I'm excited to dive back in after Sukkot. Greet one another in the chat. Keep it kadosh. Give us some thumbs up. Hit the notification bell. And some sad news, but we knew it was coming. YouTube is deleting our content. I've been notified many times this week, most probably after the Sukkot teaching. So starting from back at the synagogue of Satan, through to Ezekiel and Revelation. They're going through everything. I did a, an administrative process, but they denied it. So it's just a matter of time. Please back up the content. We don't have the manpower to back up 500 videos. So um, if you like what you see here at Torah to the Tribes, please back it up. Share the videos. Keep the content because it could be going away. It's going away rapidly from the notifications that I'm getting. Um, we are over on Odyssey. We did manage to get a bunch over there, but not all content has gone over. Um, so you can go to our Facebook page, find the link there, and go over to Odyssey. There's videos over there. We've got a whole a mirrored site there. So something that we're working on, but most probably need to do it quite quickly from the notifications that I've been getting. So crazy, isn't it? What a world. What a world. Anyway, it's what it is. We are in Isaiah chapter 28, and this is an exciting chapter. It's a, a chapter that people love to avoid because it begins with woe to the crown of pride. The Hebrew word there is keter, the crown of pride. Isaiah here begins with a warning to the northern kingdom of Israel, to the ten tribes, of course, that were scattered up first by the Assyrians, the house of Ephraim for their pride and drunkenness. And then the prophecy will shift to a message, of course, about the cornerstone being laid in Zion, Zion, of course, symbolizing Yahweh's foundation. What is the foundation of our faith? What is what what is the belt of truth? What undergirds everything? What is the breastplate of righteousness? What is the bottom line of our faith? Do not forsake your first love. 
It's Yahushua HaMashiach, the foundation of his people. However, the people's rejection of this cornerstone leads to judgment. Leads to judgment. Woe to the Keter of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose Tifereth glory is a fading flower which is on the head of the fertile valleys of those that are overcome with wine. See, Yahuwah has a mighty and strong one, which as a storm of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty Maim, water overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. The Keter, the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trampled under feet. And the Tifereth, the glory, which is on the head of the fertile valley, shall be a fading flower. As the Bikarim before the summer, which when he sees it, he eats it up while still in his hands. It's poetic strong poetic language but you can see the veil of judgment of stumbling on the tables of vomit there's a few key words that I want to just kind of focus in on because I think it brings more of that poetry scriptural poetry forth in verse 5 hineni hineni this word means to behold I hineni behold I and it signifies Yahweh's immediate presence of action. Hineni, behold I. In verse 5, in that day shall Yahweh Zevot be for the Keter a crown of Tifereth glory and for a diadem of Tifereth glory to the remnant of his people. And there's another word in verse 6 that just really stands out to me is Yoseid. And it's translated as to lay or a place. And it indicates again deliberate action. You see, our faith is to be non passive, it's to be a deliberate action. Because when we become passive, that's when we fall. That's when we stumble like the drunkards of Ephraim. Our faith cannot be passive. We have got to take action and it's got to be deliberate, deliberate action. You said, for the Ruach of Mishpat is upon him that desires Mishpat, judgment, for the strength to them that turn away the battle at the gate. Verse 7, but they also have gone astray through wine and through strong drink, are away from the emet, the truth. The Kohen, the priest, and the Navi, the prophet, have gone astray through jo strong drink. Now, Jeremiah was one that was always up against this, right? The false prophets that were speaking words of comfort when judgment was come. Oh, it's, oh, it's all going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. Oh, you are such a Debbie Downer. You know, no, it's not going to be okay. Listen to the words of the true prophets because they will be the shofar, the clarion call on the mountains of Ephraim, while the false prophets are down at the tables of vomit, singing dirges and song and joy, when really you should be up in the mountains sounding out the shofar. There is trouble coming. 
surround the troops, circle the wagons, if you will. Watch, be watchmen on the wall. But people hate that voice. They'd rather be down in the valleys with the songs and the myrrh and the glee and the tables of vomit. Because that's popular. It's eat, it's drink. Tomorrow we die, as Isaiah says, as it's quoted in the New Testament even. But verse 7, But they also have gone astray through wine and through strong drink, are away from the emet, the truth, the true way. The Cohen and the Navi have gone astray through strong drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are away from the emet way through strong drink. They go astray in vision. They stumble in mishpatim, in judgments. In verse 8, we have the Hebrew word eben, eben. It means a stone or a rock, symbolizing a strong and unshakable foundation. So, conversely, there's strong drink that leads to instability in vision, mind, and body. And then there is eben, a what? Strong, unshakable foundation. So you can see the contrast. It kind of escapes you unless you can kind of get into the poetic language. Another piece of language that just pops out to me, verse 9, is the Hebrew word bochan. Bochan. And it's translated as tried or tested. Are you being tried or tested? I'm being tried or tested. Are we not all being tried or tested right now? This generation, we are being tried and tested above many generations that have come before us. We live in a world of being tried and tested. It's a, and it is being intensified at all. It's warfare. Psychological, spiritual, health, everything. The reason that some of our videos have been taken down is they do not go with the guidelines of the WHO and the FDA. And I'm like, I'm teaching the book of Ezekiel for crying out loud. I mean, I'm not going into, you know, big farmer and going through the ingredient list of, uh, you know, some kind of jab. I mean, I was talking about uh, historical things and relating it to the days in which we live. But I mean, but still... It's not in line with the W... Well, Ezekiel's not in line with the WHO, right? That's the problem. Jeremiah's not in line with the WHO. The Bible's not in line with the World Health Organization. And the day it is, is the day that you slam the door on that church that you're in. That's the problem. We're not supposed to be in line with any of these corporations if we're the people of Yah. Because they're demonic, satanic, and luciferic to the core, trading and trafficking in the souls of men. We've already established that. But I was teaching Ezekiel for crying out loud. The 13 scrolls. And somehow that didn't line up with the WHO. And I'm going through it. And I'm right because they, they, they leave the video for you to review on why they kick. I'm like, oh, well, what? Something in there. Befuddles me. Bochan, are you being tried? Are you being tested? But in light of Yahusha, the foundation stone, the Eben, 
Was he tried and tested? And did he come out and prove unto us that he is a reliable, unshakable foundation stone in a very shaky and unstable world? Where will you cling to? Where will you cling to? I know where I'm clinging to. Verse 10, we have the repetition of Eben. The repeated here, of course, for emphasizing, emphasizing the importance of this very stone. The importance of this very stone. Then you get to verse 11, you get another Hebrew word, which I think is quite cool, yikar. Yikar meaning precious, valuable. The worth of the stone and the worth of those who trust in the stone. You are precious. You are valuable when you align yourself with Yahuwah and his Eben, his stone, his foundation stone. Verse 12, we have the Hebrew word pinat. Pinat, not pino. I know we're talking about, you know, drunkards of wine here. So I had to be careful that I put the right spelling in my notes because, you know, I don't mind a good pino myself. Again, but you've got to be careful, right? Because we don't want to get down into the valleys of the territories of Ephraim. So stewardship, responsibility. Okay, I'm not saying I'm blameless here, but, you know, open book. Pino, I mean, sorry, peanut, often interpreted as cornerstone, cornerstone, a foundation stone, a critical component, is it not, into the building's construction. Look at verse 8. For all their tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so there is no clean place. There's nowhere to go. Brethren, do you feel like that in the world today? There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to bloody go. Every, I mean, just driving here today, and I'm like, we're in the Pacific Northwest. Blooming trash everywhere, tents everywhere. Oh, there's another homeless. There's nowhere to go. I want to go on a nature walk, right? I mean, you really have to get out of the city. Because they're putting everybody in the cities, ready for another lockdown. For all their tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so there is no clean place. To whom shall we teach da'at, knowledge? And to whom shall we make to understand doctrine? Those that are weaned from the milk and drawn away from the breasts. Verse 10, for precept must be laid upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and with another tongue will he speak to his people of Ephraim. Sister Debbie came up to me at Sukkot and was like, when you get to this point, are you going to teach it this way or that way? And I was like, well, I see what you're saying. Because this particular section of scripture so many times, and this is what she brought up to me, is used of, oh, this is how we to study the word, precept upon precept, line upon line. But really, and the sister had the, the correct analysis here, the point of in context is these people were so far gone that this was like alphabet soup. Like they're a, even worse than their ABCs, their teaching. I mean, they had strayed so far Far. Are we going to really have to go that you just got to start to sound out the words of the Torah? Because you don't even, you're so far removed from, from reading it and observing it. 
This isn't, you know, some Christian clarion call to Bible study. This is a judgment and a charge on Ephraim that they can't even do their ABCs. Their tables and their mouths are so full of vomit. This is the charge. This is the charge. It's actually an indictment against them. It's not an admonishment for Bible study, as we have misguidingly used it, including myself. I think maybe back in the fifth chapter. But, you know, we've come to, in our custom and our culture, to use it that way, which is fine. But contextually, it really is an indictment against them that they've gone so far, they can't even read the lines. Read the lines. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people of Ephraim, to whom he said, This is the rest by which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not listen. But the word of Yahweh was given to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Remember, righteous men prostrate themselves before Yahuwah, and the unholy fall backward. So where this, you know, let's dunk you in the chlorine swimming pool for a baptism, and you all fall backwards. I don't get that, because when they came to arrest Yahusha, where did they go? Did they fall forward, or did they draw backward? What does Moshe Rabbeinu do? He always prostrates himself forward. So it's the pagans that draw backwards. That's rebellion against Yahweh. So when we immerse and do ritual immersion, mikvah, commonly in the Greek called baptism, we, do, we go forward. We're prostrating ourselves, going back into the womb and coming up in a new birth, right? We're certainly not doing it in chlorine. Anyway. At the WHO, maybe that's what they don't like about it, you know? They'd love to get us in some of that formaldehyde and chlorine and all that good stuff down at your local swimming pool. Oh, good grief. What a, what a world, eh? Where are we? What verse was I in? Oh, I was in verse 13. Well, look at verse 14. There's a great word that just pops out if you've got your Strong's or your E-Sword. I'm a little bit, nowadays, I don't go to the Strong's book so much when I've got my E-Sword on my computer and my phone, you know. But Tachuta, Tachuta. And this word is derived from the root Tuch. And its meaning is inside or within. What it's suggesting is that the stone is placed within something. Possibly the central point of the foundation. But ultimately in you and me, where's the stone supposed to be placed? Inside us. Inside us. Tuchuta. Inside us. We have to have the foundation stone of Yahushua HaMashiach inside us. So the text is really hinting. And now let's, let's, then let's shift a little bit into the allegorical sense of the, of the text, okay? Because especially in the reference to the cornerstone. The cornerstone 
of course, is seen as a foreshadowing of Yahushua HaMashiach. But to even to Isaiah's audience, they didn't know Yahushua, but it was a reference and an allegorical hint, a remez, to the one to come, the Moshiach, the anointed one, the deliverer. They didn't know it was Yahushua then, but now we do, right? But it was still always about Moshiach. Moshiach is going to be the foundation stone, the foundation stone. So there was always this foreshadowing, even contextually, in the time of Isaiah. We know that the foundation stone is Yahushua, and then we, as the ecclesia, not the church, but the called out assembly, but interestingly, the word church does appear, give me a little slack here, the word church for our Baptist friends, it does appear in the Torah, okay? So the church isn't a New Testament entity. The word church appears in Genesis. Give me a little slack here. You know it doesn't, but it does, okay? Because we've got the Hebrew word kahal, which was translated into the LXX, the Septuagint as ecclesia, which is where we get the kirke, the Germanic word of the pagan circle, which is then a circle dancing, which is why the Messianics love to do the circle dancing, pagan fire worship, which was introduced into the church, the drunken vomit of Ephraim, which was then incorporated into the Council of Nicaea, and you have the new church. But the church isn't a New Testament entity. It goes all the way back to Bereshit, Genesis. Kahal, Ecclesia, Kirke, Church circle and it is a big circle show isn't it a circus even right a circus tent makes you wonder doesn't it makes you wonder but anyway i digress the cornerstone is seen as the foreshadowing of mashiach who becomes the very foundation for the ecclesia and the rejection then of this cornerstone by the people it mirrors the rejection of Mashiach himself. You can see that, right? Thus, the chapter so far is conveying a very powerful message because it's depicting a very strong and tested stone, a very precious cornerstone that's placed within the heart or center of something significant, and it's signifying that it is foundational and it has such a value in its role. We can get all puffed up in learning and understanding and Hebrew words and Torah, Torah, Torah. But if we miss what should be at the center of our core, then is it not all folly? Is it not all folly? I had some brethren from Wyoming that were sharing with me. Wonderful family. And they were in community with another family which will go unnamed. They didn't tell me who it was, but, you know, so it is unnamed. But they departed, because they're so gung-ho about Torah, into pretty much Judaism with no Yahushua, no foundation stone. So was Yahushua ever at the center? That's tragedy. For what? We have to remember our first love. And at the end of the day, 
It all comes down to emunah. Do you have the faith? Do you have the faith and are you going to be able to withstand? That was your word before we opened up. What was the word you said? Do you ever feel like you lose, lose the way or lose hope? And we're all like, yes. <laughs> but we still continue. When you fall, Yahweh just asks you to get up. He's not going to chide you and beat you over the head with his whipping stick because you fell. If you start crawling on the ground stubbornly, say, I'm not getting up. I like it down here in these tables of vomit. That's different. But if you fall and then you get up, that's all he asks of you and return to the way. I have a notice I send out occasionally. It says, I've examined the path that my feet are on. And I've come to the conclusion that I'm on the wrong path. And I repent of my sins, and I now am going on this path. And that's an okay thing to do. It's all right to say, I made a mistake. I repent of my sins. What can you do with that? You've got nowhere to go. I'm not making the claims, oh, that was false. Oh, that was fraudulent. Oh, you did this. Because he who makes the claim has to... Pr there is no claim. I made the mistake. You can't come to me and say, well, no, Matthew, you didn't make a mistake. Because you're not me. Can you? Right? Well, no, you don't. No, I did. Who are you to say I didn't make a mistake? I made a mistake. I don't have to prove that. Because, you see? But if I say, well, that was fraudulent. Okay. Somebody contacted me recently. I'm digressing, I know. But contacted me recently. Okay. Nameless. Oh, Matthew. Um, you're, uh, this, this rumor's going around that Jim, you support... Um, Masonics and the Masons and, and that you did there, did there. I said, all right. That's a big claim. I accept that claim. Will they now prove up that claim? Because I think I've got 500 videos on, tour, on YouTube, and it's getting less by the day, that will actually establish that that isn't true. Because <laughs> I think I've been banging on. <laughs> about the dangers of, of, of Masonics and Masons for, 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 for decades. So if there's something new material out there that I haven't seen, then please bring, present that claim. And where isn't it in the Torah where we're not supposed to be circulating false reports about people? Can we do that bit of Torah first? No, we don't want to do that bit of Torah. So we've got all these false circulation, a circulating report about me based upon a claim. Okay, we'll prove up the claim. Because I know I got half a dozen people just from Sukkot that would counter that claim because I think we had a Masonic book burning at Sukkot. And I was like, afterwards, I'm like, oh, we should have, we should have filmed this just for kicks and giggles, right? So again, I digress, but... Brethren, it's too easy to get off the path, isn't it? Too easy to get off the path. The rejection of this cornerstone 
mirrors the rejection of Mashiach by some. So the, the chapter does convey the strong message of the strong tested stone, that this is a precious cornerstone that should be not on the outskirts of our faith, but very central at the heart, the very central chamber of our signifying his value. Because that's where I know I go to when I fall in the mud and the mire and the clay. This is a messianic prophecy, of course, the stone representing Yahusha. He is unshakable. He is the foundation of our faith. He's the foundation. He's unshakable. Because all of the other stuff, my strength, your strength, these are shakable things. Because sometimes I don't feel so good. Sometimes my behavior isn't as well as it should be. Okay? Because we're fallen saints and sinners. But he's unshakable. He is proven. You and I are still yet to be proven. We have to finish the good fight. Oh, Matthews, he's so strong. Oh, Don, he's so strong. We are still unproven because we haven't got yet to the end, which is why I'm not a big fan of the birthdays. Because... Firstly, I won't go into it, you know, but it, it's obviously pagan. The three times it does appear in Scripture, really bad things happen. Okay, I've compromised with the Hebrew dates for my children, but my sons aren't too into it. I think my daughter's maybe a little more. I know my wife is, bless her heart. And, and I, you know, Tamara, don't get mad at me. <laughs> but they were celebrating Abraham's death. Okay, that was the whole issue with the pottage. They were celebrating his death because the day of somebody's death, if they've lived a righteous life, then they have been proven. They have been found. They have been found to be righteous and you can celebrate their life because we're still untested. Even the evil wicked have a day of their birth. It's the biggest day in the book of Satan, the day of one's birth. But you're unproven. I don't think that's much of a celebration. Job tries to do a rev reversal on creation. Jeremiah tries to do a reversal on creation. They're like mourning the day of their birth as if it had never happened. Because if you truly have Yahushua as your central um, foundation stone, at times in your life you will do that. Job Try to do a, a, a jujitsu on the days of creation, on the birth from his mother's womb. And so did Jeremiah. And sometimes I feel that way too. <laughs> Wasn't that what you just said? Is it all worth it sometimes? Well, that's the doubting Thomas of us all, isn't it? Oh, well, I'm never like that. Well, you're a liar. Because you all are. Oh, well, that never happens. Liar. Right? Really? I can't stand the holier than thou. Sorry. I can smell it. B -b -b -b. It has something to do with cattle in a field. Verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of Yahweh, you scornful rotter. 
of a man that rule this people who are in Yerushalayim. Because you have said, we have made a Brit a covenant with death, and with Sheol are we in agreement. So that when the overflowing beating shall pass through, it shall not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. Therefore, what are you laughing at? Huh? Is there, is there something I'm missing? Talking to my son, Levi, in the back again. People are like, man, you're always so hard on Levi. find out afterwards see you've thrown me off my game it's always your children who throw you off your game isn't it where was I 16 16 16. ah there we go thank you sorry therefore this says Yahuwah the master Yahuwah see I lay in Zion for a foundation stone a tried stone a precious Rosh Pinar, cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believes shall not hasten to do these things. It truly is a, war, a warning against pride. It's a warning against arrogance. It's a warning against physical and spiritual drunkenness, highlighting the significance of recognizing and accepting Yahweh's foundation which has got, of course, massive messianic prophetic implications. Because the rejection of this foundation results in what? Mishpat, judgment, of a severe kind. But it also hints at the hidden mystery of Yahuwah's salvific plan through the Rosh Pinar, the foundation stone we know as Mashiach. The next verse opens up with Mishpat. Mishpat, judgment also will I lay to the line, and Zedekah, righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the Maim shall overflow the hiding place. You for morning by morning, and by day and by night, it shall cause only distress to even understand the report, for the bed is shorter than that on which a man can stretch himself on it, and the cover's too narrow to wrap himself in it. What is this talking about? What is this talking about? I believe this is talking about equity. Because the imagery of the line and plummet is a revelation of Yahuwah's anointing upon the last generation who is going to change and transform the world. Because the world right now is under a curse. It's under an occult curse of Babylonian trading and trafficking in all areas of commerce, of law, legalese, propaganda, everything, all the media, all these wars, all this so-called money, this currency in the seas of commerce. But Yahweh is going to 
show his people and there is going to be a change a revelation as one system collapses Yahweh's people are going to be revealed the remedy to be able to pass through Jacob's trouble and go into the millennium and I believe this is what King Solomon showed us Melech Shlomo, the wisdom of Solomon, the hidden key that I spoke about at Sukkot, equity, the line and the plummet. It is a revelation of Yahweh's equity, which is true Torah, the highest law, drawing a parallel to the wisdom of Melech Shlomo, King Solomon, in First Kings chapter um, 3 and you see it specifically in verses 16 through 28 because Yahweh now is going to be speaking of using justice as the measuring line and righteousness as the plumb line and this imagery signifies Yahweh's divine standards of equity and fairness just as a builder would use precise oh my goodness he's a mason no just as a bit oh my goodness he's gonna go into the no but where do you think they get this from but then it's a perversion right is it not a perversion they call I think in in in, in um, Masonic they think the great architect and then they have the um, what is it called because that was on the front of the book that we burn at Sukkot the um, you see it on all the Masonic buildings. Help me out. Yeah, the compass and huh? Yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But it's 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 a it's a craft. It's the craftsman's tool. But it's been perverted into Babylonian occult magic. But the truth of it is what here. Really, Melech Shlomo, King Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 3, Yahweh's speaking about the measuring line. He's speaking about righteousness as the plumb line, justice as the measuring line, because this imagery is signifying Yahweh's divine standards of equity and fairness. So just as a builder would use these precise tools like a measuring line and a plumb line to ensure a structure's integrity, Yahweh employs equitable justice and righteousness to maintain the moral integrity and the protection of his saints. Sometimes there might need to be readjustment. A stone may need to be taken out and replaced. There may be a crumbling in the structure, but ultimately, Yahweh is the one that will maintain his saints through this process. Did you turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16? This does recount, I won't read it, but you can follow along or read it in your own time. The infamous story of two women who both claim to be the mother of the same baby. But Melech Shlomo, King Solomon, who was renowned with his wisdom, he faced a situation that was not explicitly 
addressed in the Torah. So it wasn't all written out, well, this is what you do when two whores come and there's a dispute over one baby. This is what, no. What was he to do? It was not explicitly laid out in the Torah. This is what equity comes in. Because the stuff that you're dealing with today, it is what's called colorable. It's a fiction of law or at law. And many of the things that we're dealing with, they're not explicitly laid out. And they certainly are not historically. They've maybe been invented at law in the past 80 years since the bankruptcy as a means to, you know, try and set off some of that debt, which, of course, they're not. It keeps increasing. It's just paying off the interest. So where do we really go to get justice to be administered justly? We have to return to our creator. And we have to realize that some things aren't explicitly laid out. And this story in 1 Kings chapter six, um, 3, verses 16 through 28, it, it shows a situation where Solomon, renowned in his wisdom, faces a situation that is not explicitly addressed in the Torah. And in response... What does he do? He proposed to divide the living child in two, offering each woman half. That was his equitable remedy. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound very equitable. But he was so wise, he knew that the real mother would immediately show herself. And she did, did she not? The mother, she immediately showed her love by selflessly offering to give up her claim to the saved child's life. She relinquished her claim selflessly, and that's what saved the child's life. While the false claimant, listen, while the false claimant agreed to the division, Solomon then declared the true mother as the one willing to protect the child's life. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have to give up. You have to surrender. Listen, you have to surrender all claims. You have to give up all your claims. The ones making the claims, they're the false claimants. The kings of the earth are claiming to be the creditors over you. Yet the kings of the earth are $32 trillion in debt. They're false claimants. The kings of the earth are claiming that they care about your health. It's a False claim, the false claimants always seek to divide the body. They always seek to plunder the wealth. They always seek to spoil. They are false claimants. Let them make the claims. Let them make the claims. Let them put the charges on you. Put whatever charge you want. Put whatever claim you want. Because I surrender and give up all claims. I release it and I accept everything because he 
is the one that will show the true law is equitable. Because everything you're saying you're the other woman. You're the false claimant. Prove up the claim. Prove that you're not $33 trillion in debt. Prove that you're the creditor. Because otherwise, it's just a piece of paper. It's just Babylonian magic. And you believe it's so true, but your life hasn't changed, has it? You just have a piece of paper. We have to give up all claims. We have to give up all claims. I claim that's a fraud. I claim that's I. I got. I'm a star. Da, 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 da. I'm a glow-in-the-dark sovereign. Well, that's a massive claim, right? Oh, I got constitutional. Well, that's a massive claim. Oh, the Constitution. I. I know. I used to do it. Then I was putting myself in the position of the false claimant, the other woman. But when we give it all up, that's when we come into Yahweh's realm. False claimants always seek division. They always seek to divide the body. They always seek to divide the family. They always seek to divide the land. They always seek to plunder and divide the wealth. The kings of the earth are false claimants. They claim that they are the creditors, yet they're $31 trillion in debt. There is no money. Yet all they talk about is money. Everything is commercial in nature. Everything. Everything. Yet there is no money. Isaiah 28 verse 17, in the context of equity, it mirrors the spirit of Solomon's wisdom. It reveals that Yahweh's justice and righteousness serve as the ultimate measuring and plumb lines in human affairs. Just as Solomon sought an equitable solution when faced with a dilemma that was not expressly addressed and explicitly addressed in the Torah, Yahweh's law transcends mere legalistic interpretations. It ensures that his judgments are fair and rooted in righteousness. There were hundreds of people this week sitting in the capital. And in the center of them, there were a group of individuals with tallits on, little um, yarmulkes, and outskirts ev all of these people um, protesting the war and all rah, rah, rah for the slaughter of women and children in another territory, inside the capital. That's okay. But then you get another group of people 
several years ago that were inside and they were protesting and they're facing 15 to 30 years in prison. Could you tell me how that's equitable? Don't tell me that this isn't politicized. Don't tell me that this isn't polarized. And don't tell me who I know who's behind it all. It's always the same characters from the days of Daniel. Always the same characters as the days of Daniel. Because it's occult magic. The plummet line is the key to life. The plummet is the man who is able to cognize Yahweh's equitable law within. It's always been with him, even from birth, because it's the center of his very soul. It's the essence of the man. He was always drawn to it, but he was really, in his younger years, he was unable to cognize it fully. But then, he started to grow towards it. His soul was crying for something more. That man, like Solomon, will be able to align himself with justice and righteousness, which is equity, for this is the unchanging standard of Yahuwah. If it was true law, it wouldn't change. So it can't be, can it? It must be colorable. Oh, well, well, it, changes. it changes all the time. Yahweh is the same, and his law is unchanging. So true law is fixed. The laws that we live under, they are changing all the... So, they, so that shows you that they are not true law. They are fictions at law. This is the matrix, brethren. It's a bunch of code. It's all procedural. It's a procedure. Everybody's got their role to play, and you're supposed to come into the play and play the role that has been assigned for you. There's a particular role that's been assigned for you, and if you don't play that role, the play cannot play. It's just procedure. It's all procedural. These are arbitrators over a play. And they need you to follow the script. And it's changing all the time in their play. The plummet line is the key to life. The plummet is the man who is able to cognize the law within. That man, like Solomon, is able to align himself with justice and righteousness, which is equity, for this is the unchanging standard of Yahuwah and his creation. These verses, oh, they are powerful. They 
speak to such deep spiritual truths because the measuring line and the plumb line represent the spiritual path and divine guidance that equity provides the true law the hail and water well this symbolizes the challenges and trials that cleanse and purify our souls and the annulment of the covenant with death this hints at the possibility of a spiritual rebirth of resurrection well, now these are echoing themes of life after death and eternal renewal, which is the whole context of our life here. So this passage then addresses both the temporal consequences of disobedience and the profound spiritual truths about Yahweh's equitable justice, righteousness, and redemptive power. It serves as a reminder to seek alignment with his divine equitable principles and trust in Yahweh's ultimate plan for redemption. Ultimately, Isaiah, specifically the 28th chapter and the 17th verses, emphasize, emphasizes, the 17th verse, sorry, emphasizes the importance of aligning our actions and decisions with Yahweh's unchanging law. These verses convey a message of divine judgment. Yet Yahweh is portrayed as a builder who uses precise measurements, that's equity, to evaluate his people's actions. That's the law of which we must live under. It's the true law. It's even higher than the Torah. Because some things are not actually spelled out in the Torah. And then what are you going to do? You're going to have to be like Solomon. You're going to have to use the keys of knowledge, the wisdom of Solomon, and it has to be within you. It has to be the very center of you to be able to draw upon it in times of need. So it's threefold, and it's a profound spiritual message, if you can see it. Number one, the measuring line and plumb line are unwavering standards of equity. Number two, the hail and the water symbolize divine interventions and the cleansing process that exposes the falsehoods and the untruths in our lives. And number three, the annulment of the covenant with death and the realm of the dead. It signifies Yahweh's power to overcome death itself, does it not? It's a foreshadowing of our great hope, the resurrection of our redemption that draws nigh. There's a great emphasis and focus on the moral and moral, excuse me, and ethical lessons within this text, I think. Because there are moral lessons about pride. That's all we hear. Pride, pride, pride. Arrogance. Arrogance. Against the Creator. Drunkenness leading to destruction. But this text emphasizes the importance of recognizing Yahweh's foundation, which in the Besorah, in the context we can see, is Mashiach. That's the gospel. And the rejection of Yahweh's foundation results in judgment. 
Let's go back to the text, verse 21. For Yahuwah, oh, there's a lot to unload on you. If you, I mean, I mean, I hope you were able to get what I was laying down. Yeah? No? For Yahuwah shall rise up as in Mount Perazim. He shall be angry as in the valley of Gideon, Gideon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his acts, his strange acts. Now, therefore, be not mockers, lest your chains be made stronger. That's what's happening right now. These, the, the world, they're mocking you, mocking us. For our sincere religious convictions. That we don't want to participate in a public controversy, a public play. Or we will, because if we don't, we'll go to jail for 10 days. But even if we do go to jail for 10 days, was it not to try us? Is that what it not says in the book of Revelation? That you'll be thrown in prison for 10 days? That's a contempt charge, by the way. To see, to be tested. And believe me, when you are, it won't be, they won't throw you in a nice place. They'll put you with the insane people. They'll find a guy who's called Lucifer or Satan and throw you in with him. They'll put you in the cell with feces on the wall where there is no running water. Why? To compel you to participate in the play? To plead? Or just plead? Plead out? They've been doing this for thousands of years. But will you stand? All you have to do is just sign here and it's all over. It can be all over. You'll be out of here in half an hour. Just sign here. Just participate in our play. Otherwise, you go back to that. I don't think I'll have to go back to that. We'll all be tested. Well, not all of you, but some of us choose to be, to find the way out for the rest of you. Because not everybody is called to it. But some of us are. And that's okay. And you don't have to be called to it. Because when we left Egypt, there was always the forward guard and the rear guard. And those of us that are put in that position, we have a responsibility to take care of the widows, the orphans, the elderly, and the sick. Who maybe don't have the compunction to do what some of us in our youth want to do and that's okay because we're a household of faith that's why there has to be warriors that's why there has to be nurses that's why there has to be elderly that's why there has to be sick and affirm because sometimes the greatest lessons you'll learn is from looking at somebody who is older with gray hair and maybe not have the health that you have because you see that they have the staying power, the strength, and the deeper mysteries that maybe you don't find in your youth. So everybody has value. But I know from what I am called, 
right now is to be able to navigate this path out. And I believe that Yahweh has shown us the way. And it's right here in the lessons of King Solomon. It's right here about those that make the claims and those that surrender all claims. That's a different breed. For Yahweh shall rise up in Mount Perdizim, and he shall be angry as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work. It is strange work. And bring to pass his acts, his strange acts. Now therefore be not mockers, lest your chains be made stronger. Their chains are being made stronger. They are in bondage, brethren. For I have heard from the master Yahweh Savot, a consumption determined upon the whole earth. Oh, there's a consumption. A consumption in the veins. A consumption going through. And it keeps flaring up again and again and again and again. It's blackening the body. It's weakening the skin. It's burning fire from within. Give me your ear and listen to my voice and listen to my speech. Does the plowman plow all day to sow? Does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods when he has leveled the surface? Does he not scatter the dill and sow the cumin? Does he not put wheat in rows and the barley where it belongs and plant the buckwheat around the edges? Verse 26. For his Elohim does not instruct him to use discretion and does teach him. For the dill is not threshed with a threshing instrument. Neither is a cartwheel turned on top of the cumin. But the dills are beaten out with a staff and the cumin with a rod. Bread grain is crushed, so one does not thresh it leolam vayed forever and ever, nor break it with the wheel of his cart, nor crush it with his horsemen. Even this comes from Yahuwah Savot, who is wonderful in his counsel and excellent in Chokmah wisdom. So, in conclusion, we see the hidden and mystical aspects of the text. Isaiah demonstrates the divine plan of salvation through Moshiach, the cornerstone, the Rosh Pinar, hinted at through the imagery of the Rosh Pinar. The rejection of this mystery, of course, leads to consequences. The consequences for Israel. The suffering described here can only be interpreted as what? It's a refining process. It's preparing individuals for ultimate redemption and renewal. So does it have a millennial theme? I think it does. Look at the hail. Look at the water. Don't they symbolize destructive forces that will expose the false refuges and the false lies the people have trusted in? That's the water. That's the hail symbology. I think it depicts a period of suffering and tribulation, somewhat suggesting Jacob's great trouble or the great tribulation, the consequences of relying upon deception and false security. Isaiah warns against making agreements with death and the forces of darkness. 
the majority of the people, they were put under a little bit of pressure, compelled to perform to the WHO, and they made covenants and agreements with death. Didn't take much, did it? Every, oh, yeah, I'll sign that to get out of this. Oh, yeah, easy. Don't put me back there. Don't put me back there. Don't you think they know that? Oh, no, no, I'll sign that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't want to go back there. Oh, just go back there. Don't be such a pansy. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's here. It's here. Oh, fear, magnification, imagery. It's really not that bad. It's not. You'll get three squares a day. You'll have to throw the sausage out. You get your religious text, and you might get some water. The other option is what? A covenant with death. But they all did it, didn't they? The majority. Sheep to the blooming slaughter, and they still don't realizing it yet. Still not realizing it yet. The consequences of relying upon deception and false security. Isaiah warns against making agreements with death and the forces of darkness. Take that and keep that in your pocket when they try to compel you for the next round. In the literal sense, Isaiah in this 28th chapter can be seen as a message to the people of Israel regarding their disobedience and the consequences they'll face for sure. Their pride, their drunkenness, it has led to judgment and exile of, of course, which we're the recipients of, stuck out here in the nations. This does symbolize Jacob's trouble. A period of tribulation and exile for Israel before the millennial reign. But we can also see in Isaiah 28 as a warning about the consequences of spiritual drunkenness and rebellion. Israel, just like Yaakov, Jacob, the first Israel, must endure tribulations. We've got to be ready for them. We've got to be ready for tribulations. That was promised us, you know. So don't give up your promise so easily. Because you'll be given something way worse. Where is that scripture? I love that scripture where the prophet's given three choices for Jerusalem. What would you rather have? Famine? War? Or fall under Yahweh's judgment? Oh, I totally, I would rather fall, right? Under Yahweh's judgment because Yahweh is merciful. Men? With their swords, unmerciful. Famine, unmerciful. Just look at Jerusalem. But Yahweh, yes, his judgment is severe, but it is also merciful. Would you rather fall under the hands of men? <sighs> look at the judgment of the hands of men. Oh, let's get everybody over there on the um, western side, outside the barbed wire fence. Let's kill all those women and children. Way! What? 
you people are insane. These are women and children. Oh, well, okay, it's this side then. Well, why does it have to be? Polarity. Has to be for their mystical occult. That's what they're doing right now. That's what they're doing right now. The promise, though, is a promise of restoration and redemption because that represents the millennial reign where Israel, the true biblical Israel, all 12 tribes, it's not a political entity. It is a spiritual entity under a theocracy where Israel and the world experience peace because they have the cornerstone's presence. There's a moral lesson. It reminds us of the importance of humility, of obedience, of teshuva, repentance, because there is a judgment and suffering described that can serve as a lesson to all generations about the consequences of pride, about the consequences of sin. And the millennial reign signifies to me the blessings of walking in Yahweh's righteousness, the blessings of walking in obedience that this world just doesn't understand. Isaiah is communicating a view that is truly part of the divine plan for redemption. The tribulations and exiles symbolize the purification and preparation of Yahweh's people. And Yahweh's people is Jacob Israel, not the state of Israel. It's Jacob's Israel for the Messiah's coming. The millennium reign represents a time when Yahweh's kingdom is established here on earth. But we've got to go through Jacob's trouble. Then we've got to go through the millennium. We get to go through the millennium. But then there's going to be Jacob's great trouble at the end of the millennium that will symbolize the final test of humanity's faith. The final test of humanity's loyalty before the ultimate victory over good. Of good, excuse me. Over evil. Of good, over evil can see this multifaceted passage that provides all kinds of insights of Jacob's trouble, the millennial reign, of Jacob's great trouble. It emphasizes the importance always throughout the whole vein of chapter 28 of faith, of repentance, of obedience, no matter what the trials are, and that there's ultimately there's going to be a triumph in Yahweh's kingdom. So essentially, all that to say this. This message is about repentance. It's about spiritual foundations. It's about a promise. A promise of a foundation stone. But that promise can only be realized from the outside if he is in the very center of your soul. This prophecy encourages us to examine our own lives, ensuring that our faith is built upon the unshakable foundation stone of Yahushua HaMashiach.
a lot right there, isn't it? Man, I love the word of Yahuwah and I love his people. Thank you all for being such a blessing. It was so wonderful to be in the fellowship of you all at Sukkot and here today. And thank you all for being so patient with me over all of the years. You can look back and see my stupidity. It's all over the internet. But you know what? I've made many mistakes. And I'm so thankful for Yahuwah's faithfulness in spite of me. As so many of you have been faithful in spite of me, to me, my family, and I thank you for that. Yahuwah bless you, and we look forward to being back live next Shabbat. Remember, like, subscribe, thumbs up, and download this content if you like it, so you can save it and share it with the brethren, because who knows how long this channel will remain up. But whatever happens, I accept it, because Yahuwah is working in our lives together. Shabbat Shalom.